Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Lounge. I am Anthony Irwin. I am joined today by Kirk Henderson of Mavs Moneyball. Uh, we actually met the first time we ever had a conversation was in Vegas. And somehow between then and now, even with how great those conversations went in Vegas, neither of us put the two and two together and said we should do a podcast together. So this is a long time running uh, I thank you very much for joining us today. How are you doing? Doing pretty well. This is going to be a wild 96 hours or so. It really will be. I mean, it looks like it's already starting, obviously, with, with the rumors and, and everything that we knew we were going to get going into this free agency period. But on top of that, Woj tweeted out that the NBA is looking into tampering charges basically across the league. So that's always fun. <laughs> And if everybody's guilty of it, nobody's guilty of it. Right. M Mitch is looking around like, see, guys, I told you my, my procrastinating is working out just great. They all have to. Nope. No, they're actually still a couple heads of us. <laughs> uh, all right. So the reason that we were we, the, this conversation actually came about was the Mavs have somebody who is now a free agent whom the Lakers are very interested in. And then later in the podcast, we'll talk about a another free agent whom the Lakers and Mavericks are both interested in, but looks like we'll probably land in Dallas per uh, a recent tweet I just saw a second ago. Uh, but we'll start with Chandler Parsons. Uh, brings wing help, uh, obviously went through some injury stuff there, but let's just talk about the type of player he is. He's great with spot-up shooting. Uh, not quite the defender maybe the Lakers need, but you aren't going to find the perfect free agent in this market aside from LeBron and Durant, who probably are not coming to Los Angeles. Yeah, I think, I, I think he's a really good fit for the Lakers looking at how the team is constructed. Uh, mm -hmm. He can really play three positions. He can play the two, three, and the four. Uh, I know the two sounds kind of stupid to some people, but he's a really, really smart player. Uh, he's excellent uh, with the ball in his hands and making decisions. He's got a really uh, solid assist rate. Uh, he's the kind of player who who really his best fit is is that that third banana, uh, mm -hmm. so to speak. And I think kind of with what the Lakers are trying to do and who they're trying to bring along, I think he could really do well. Um, he does get a little bit frustrating when he doesn't have the ball. My my initial. Uh, commentary about him when he joined the Mavericks was I referred to him as Stan there Parsons, uh, <laughs> primarily because you know he had just come from playing with James Harden, and even though he was a very dynamic player at the University of Florida, he basically spent uh, three seasons you know just kind of hanging out behind the perimeter. Uh, he he Dallas put him in a lot of playmaking situations, and really when they turned the keys over to him at the tail end of last season, right before he um, hurt his knee really badly he really was starting to come on to the point to where it was making Monta Ellis uh, um, uncomfortable in the locker room because it was really clear that, that the Mavs were becoming Parsons' team. Then, of course, he hurt his knee, and, mm -hmm. and you know he, he spent a lot of uh, this season kind of recovering, and then he 
played fairly well uh, up until the tail end of the season when he tore his meniscus. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really think that he could be good with this young Lakers team because I don't think expectations for the Lakers are going to be very high. Um, I think people might not like how much he gets paid, but I think that's going to come with just about every free agent this offseason. And, and unfortunately, the Lakers right now find them in that position of, you know, we always hear it about smaller market teams that they have to overpay to get guys to come to the Lakers. And you're seeing it right now with the Lakers not even able to get a meeting with Hassan Whiteside, who we'll talk about later. But it just it made me laugh when I thought about, wow, this is where the Lakers are right now, where they can't even get a meeting with somebody who seems to make a lot of sense with Parsons. He's not coming to the Lakers unless they give him that pay or that the probably somewhere close, if not an actual max contract. And uh, this is one of those risks um, that, that the Lakers kind of have to make right now. Now in terms of risk, and you mentioned the knee injuries that Parsons went through or had to overcome in his time there in Dallas, you had mentioned to me, I believe it was in DMS or something like that. I I don't know which situation it was that he was, his injuries are of the freak type that they aren't something that you would necessarily be all that concerned about, you know, him continuing to, to aggregate, to aggravate them uh, moving forward. Is, do you, what makes you say that kind of thing? Well, I was very skeptical at first because last offseason he required what the Mavericks referred to as a hybrid microfracture, which uh, dealing in team PR, uh, to me, I, I simply heard the term microfracture. Mm-hmm. And I didn't believe there was such a thing called a hybrid microfracture. <laughs> but, you know, he came back really, really quickly for a guy that had an injury like that. And he looked okay. Uh, you know, he's about 6'9", legitimate 6'9". He, he's not one of these guys who's listed at 6'9", and is about 6'6 six, six and a half. So he's, he's, he was also never really super athletic. Uh, so, you know, a, a knee injury wasn't going to, or a um, microfracture surgery was not going to affect him the same way it, it affected like Stoudemire back in the day. Uh, mm-hmm. If you, I think the comparison I would rather use is somebody like Jason Kidd, who, you know, was really like a floor based game and, and it didn't affect Parsons that much. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, what happened towards the end of the season was very weird because he, he felt, uh, I think a meniscus tear if I remember correctly, he was out for like five games with what they thought was a sore hamstring before they identified the meniscus. Um, and so it was just kind of one of these things where I don't think it was, for, from all the talk around Dallas, it really didn't have anything to do with, you know, like something systemic or that you're concerned about long term. Uh, I mean, what, what happened in Dallas in terms of him, they were going to give him the max at the start of free agents or at, at uh, the start of the offseason. That had been kind of the story for a real long time. And things changed that didn't have to do with health. They really just decided to go a different direction. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, as recently as three weeks ago, they were prepared to offer him a max or near max deal. So I, I really don't think the knee should be a concern to people uh, long-term with, with uh, the Lakers. And the other thing, too, and, and it's like you mentioned, not just the style of play that I've watched him play, because he's not the kind of guy who is ever going to participate in, in the slam dunk contest. But when you're talking about somebody who, in the offense, is going to be asked to operate without the basketball he's not really going to be asked to do any isolation kind of plays and create for himself it's more you know 
hey, you know, make the occasional cut, come off the occasional screen. But what we really need from you is to make good, quick decisions after a pick and roll finds you in space. Can you do that kind of thing? And I don't think you need to have another worldly athlete to, to make that kind of role work, which makes me, I mean, offensively, it makes a lot of sense. What have you seen from him defensively, though? Yeah, you know, defensively is one of those things where you're constantly frustrated. It's kind of hard to know how good or bad he really was because the Mavericks were just all sorts of problematic. The first year he was in Dallas, the um, Tyson Chandler actually cleaned up, you know, everybody's mistakes. This mm-hmm. last year, they were just really poor generally defensively. Um, and I'm, it's, it's hard to say how much of that is on him or like J.J. Barea. Uh, so it's it's not really a great comparison. The fact that he's so long is beneficial. And I mean, if you look at if you look at like a proposed Lakers starting five, there's some big dudes out there. So you know you get you get a pair of six nine guys, or you know you get a pair of six nine guys in the front court along with whoever plays center. Uh, if Ingram happens to start or comes off the bench, that's just a lot of length. And mm-hmm. so you know whether or not he is going to be that great of a, a defender might be mitigated by the fact that there's just so many big dudes on the floor. Right. It, players tend to, or players flaws individually tend to get masked when you can just switch. Right. Yep. And, and with, with the Lakers, like you mentioned, if Parsons is signed and I would say if, if the Lakers do go after Parsons or if they are able to acquire him, the lineup that I could see them going with becomes D'Angelo hey, Russell, probably Ingram, at the two Parsons at the three Randall at the four, and then whatever they make work at the five with Clarkson coming off of the bench and all those guys that you, you're talking about Russell, who's six, five ish, I believe uh, Ingram is six, nine Parsons is six, nine Randall is also in that, in that six, nine, six, 10 range. And then if you have a, a mobile center who can make that all work, uh, being able to switch like that, that kind of lineup gave the 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 Warriors a lot of issues when they played Oklahoma City because people just switched, and and if you had somebody who could hold their own or keep uh, Curry in front to as best you know somebody in that kind of situation could, then now all of a sudden you know somebody who might not normally be a great defender starts to look a little bit better based on or, or with the length that's surrounding them. Uh, the, the thing with Parsons that I, I guess I would be a little concerned about is like if the Lakers go after Batum, for example, and I'm not saying the Lakers would get him. Uh, the nice thing he'd bring over is he would be able to start every game on the other team's best player. Yep. Whereas if you bring somebody like Parsons over now, all of a sudden you're hoping that a rookie Ingram is, 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 you know, tasked with that role. And that's a little worrisome. It, for for Parsons in the individual in the isolation spot, was there a particular kind of player that gave him troubles? You know, I'm really trying to remember. He often did not have to guard with with Wes Matthews. He often didn't have to guard the opposing team's best player. Mm-hmm. So I really don't think there was too much of of that going on. I I think. Uh, it, it tended to be if quicker players w- would cause him problems, but that's just because he didn't have the best lateral movement. Mm-hmm. I mean, wh- when you when you come off two two knee injuries, that that's you know kind of to be expected, I guess. Um, right. So it, you know, I I think he'll be okay. I mean, it's really like 
I, I think you're probably going to be, you know, I think the Lakers as a whole are going to be really, uh, <laughs> you're going to be good. You're going to be looking more like you're, y'all are probably going to be more focused on their offense next year anyways, which I think will go, you know, as, as you guys saw from the tail end of last year is going to be pretty fun. Mm-hmm. The, the last aspect of, of Parsons that has me and a lot of people, uh, that are paying attention to him interested is his chemistry with the NBA at large. And, he seems to be very well respected, respected enough to almost single-handedly pull in DeAndre Jordan before you know the the all kinds of funny stuff happened last year. Take us through kind of the, the process that went in there based on on everything that you know in that situation. Let's rewind it a little bit, even to the year before. Uh, I th- I think we can say with confidence that that Chan- and it was reported even that Chandler Parsons really was the closer in bringing Dwight to Houston. Mm-hmm. Now I know Lakers fans might not really you know care about that, but but getting that particular player to leave and then go to a situation like Houston, you know, even if he was just kind of a a, a one person in the process, is pretty is pretty fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, with the DeAndre situation, I really, from, from what, you know, has been reported since he backed out on Dallas, he was actually not that close to signing with the Mavericks. Uh, mm-hmm. his agent was very involved in the process and Chandler Parsons really kind of held his hand for like five days to the <laughs> point to where he like, wasn't able to say no to his friend. So right. Parsons is really one of these guys who's not afraid to get in there and mix it up. You know, we're, we're kind of coming off the age of these superstars, particularly these older superstars who are, you know, so used to guys catering to them. Parsons really doesn't have that ego about him. Uh, he, he's the guy, you know, I, I think I've compared him in the past to, to the Matthew McConaughey role in Dazed and Confused. He's the guy that kind of gets everybody together and he's the guy that everybody likes. Right. Um, you know, right, he's, right, he's right. never, Exactly. And he's really, he's never going to be a superstar, but he's going to be that guy that you have, that, that you're happy is around. Mm-hmm. Because I think if you pair, you know, the general allure of Southern California, which is, you know, so important to a lot of these players, to a guy who is just willing to sell them on the program and what's happening in, in LA, I think that could be a, a match made in heaven. I mean, no offense to Kobe, but, you know, whenever people would come there, you're always playing in Kobe's shadow. Right. Instead, now with if, if Parsons goes there, you look ahead to 2007, in 2008, selling you on Los Angeles and the Lakers as a whole. I think that could be pretty helpful. The the uh, other aspect of it too is, I mean, the elephant in the room with the Lakers is this whole Nick Young, D'Angelo Russell, odd dynamic that had, that eventually got one, you know, a a an old engagement later and in an in an ugly video later in a commercial that apparently threw salt and already open wounds later that you have this kind of sort of weird chemistry and i'm not even i i'm the guy who tends to fight back on the narrative there that people within the lakers aren't comfortable with d'angelo russell and his immaturity i tend to kind of let's pump the brakes there a little bit. He's a kid. He did something stupid, but at the end of the day, in my opinion, the guy who did wrong was a guy who cheated on his fiance multiple times. Um, if you bring somebody like Chandler Parsons in now, Russell sees what it takes to kind of be that charismatic guy, right? Or, or other Lakers see like, Hey, this is what resonates with other really good and other charismatic athletes in the NBA. Let's, kind of be a little bit more like this guy and put whatever is behind us behind us. 
uh, that that in and of itself, when you're lucky, when the Lakers are looking to build culture, somebody as unselfish as as you're painting Parsons to be seems to fit exactly what the the Lakers could would could really use at this point. I think so, and I, I think there's some real value in having a guy in his late twenties who's single, who likes to go out, who likes to have a good time, but who does not make the news. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I hate to use the the term like professional partier, but I think it's a you know network Jason Concepcion who who you know once talked about Chandler Parsons off season orgy suite you know as a joke, <laughs> but it, it's it's you take it like it's funny because there's a little bit of truth to it because the guy, you know, he, he go, you never hear about him, but you know, for a fact that he goes out and has a good time. And with so many young, you know, probably single guys on a roster, you know, there's some value in having someone who can, you know, show you how to, how to have a good time without making the news. Right. Right. I mean, Derek Jeter somehow lasted in all, in New York all those years and and was able to, you know, have the resume that he built up in New, in New York without necessarily ruffling many feathers. It's an actual skill. And and you know, Randall is now engaged and and D'Angelo Russell I believe has a has a long-standing girlfriend. So I'm not sure how much actual <laughs> fun they'd be looking to have, but just staying out of the news especially out here would be really important to a group of young kids because we saw i mean the the d'angelo russell last year didn't have that bad i would even say that he had a pretty good rookie season all fantastic second half right he he was pretty good but the narrative that comes about from all of that is 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 pretty negative because he wasn't able to stay out of the news right if if there isn't the off-court stuff He's almost undoubtedly a, a first team all rookie player. Right. But, so. but he he winds up getting, you know, n- not as many votes as you'd like to get, even for a a second team all NBA rookie. And and yeah, that's that's what happens when you get into the wrong news cycles. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so we'll we'll go ahead and move on to to a few more topics just about the Mavericks, because I find the Mavericks really, really interesting. Uh, they are a team that has handled Dirk's career uh, <laughs> weirdly, in my opinion, right? They, he's taken all kinds of pay cuts to try to coerce or, or try to entice other NBA players to Dallas. And it's not like, I mean, the, the Dallas has been in the playoffs how many of the last sev- several years? I, they haven't missed the playoffs very often over the missed last it once, Missed it once since 2000, 2001. Right, that's not that's not a terrible track record. So it's nice that Dirk got to play in all those big moments. But when you look at everything that he sacrificed, I think it's I don't think it's that large a stretch to kind of call it something of a disappointment. You know, when you consider and, and the flip side to it, like I said, or like we said before we started recording, the flip side to it is Kobe, who takes every cent that he could have possibly earned from the Lakers and puts the Lakers in a, in a situation where they have to go completely rebuild even while he's still on the roster to even be in the spot that they're in right now. So I guess there's no real right way to do it, but I found it odd that there was some blowback to, to Parsons saying that he didn't he was going to take or he was hoping he wasn't going to take a pay cut this year considering how much money that was out there. Am I reading that situation properly? Yeah, there's a really a lot to dissect. Let's so 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 let's start with the the what you said there at the end and back up. It, mm-hmm. To me, 
it's fairly clear. The Mavericks have always been an organization where news doesn't come out unless, you know, unless they want it to come out. Mm-hmm. Leaks are almost non-existent. It's, it's very, you know, it's very from the top down. And if something does come out with a source, it's usually one of these things where you can kind of pin down who might have said such a thing relatively mm-hmm. easily. I know uh, the I know I know the situation very well as we go through much of the same in Los Angeles. <laughs> so with, we're pretty you know at Moneyball at least we're fairly sure that almost all of this Parson stuff emanated with his camp. Uh, mm-hmm. Why the Mavericks would tell him that they were not offering him the max is really stupid poker to me because it's generated all this bad not I don't know if you want to call it bad press but it's the sort of thing where. You know, for the better part of a decade and a half since Cuban bought the team, they've tried to build up this this uh, concept of a team culture and a, and a place that, that, you know, players should maybe want to play despite not having the allure of a bigger market. And, you know, when you, you, you tick off one free agent like this and you can really just backpedal all sorts of stuff um, with, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all sorts of gains. So, but to, to go back further with what you're talking about, Dirk, they've had a really interesting time because, you know, in, in they ran into some buzzsaw Laker teams when they had a really good squad, squads in the early 2000s. Some real, like, people don't remember this now, but, like, the, the 2003 to 2005 Mavericks were just so freaking good. All sorts of, like, unbelievable players on the team at the same time. Uh, and, and, you know, they just, they weren't able to get right, you know, thing, you know, it's, it's tough when you're, you, you just run into better teams, so to speak. Yep. Um, so what, what happened was everybody kind of, you know, you get past 2006 and 2007, which were two horrible loss, you know, horrible series of defeats for the Mavericks and everybody kind of wrote them off, which was completely understandable, but they just kind of kept chugging, kept chugging. And this is in the old uh, collective bargaining agreement where Cuban was willing to take on unbelievable sums of money. So mm-hmm. they struck gold in 2010, 2011, when they had a payroll of $111 million when the salary cap was something like 57. <laughs> so it was just like, you know, it, everybody gives crap to LeBron for, you know, a bought, not built crap. But the Mavericks did the same thing. I just, you know, <laughs> was, they had so many high salary guys on the team. So from there, they've really done Dirk wrong because Dirk was 32 when they won the championship, which is kind of odd if you think about it. Because uh, you know most guys win championships in their in their prime window of like 26 to 29, mm-hmm. and he won it late just because they they caught fire and played well at the you know great time. That was they were kind of a precursor to to these three point shooting teams we have now because you know I hate to rub salt in an old Laker wound, but there was the the game four against the Lakers in the second round in 2011 when Jason Terry went nine from ten for three because Phil was letting him have open threes. That that whole series was insane to me. Ne- <laughs> Nobody from Dallas was missing. It was, no, it was, it was just because they didn't, you know, people didn't defend the three like they do now. And mm-hmm. and so, but then the year since they've really gone on this, this, it's just not been a great strategy where they've attempted to reload through free agency every year and Dirk has bought them time and they've never been able to come away with anything. Now, there's a lot of reasons you can think about that. First, every year, Dirk gets older. Uh, Rick Carlisle is the particularly challenging coach to play for. He has ruined certain point guards. Mm-hmm. But third, and I think the big elephant in the room that you know I will probably get killed for in Mavsland for saying, is people like the idea of Cuban a hell of a lot more than they like the actuality. He's, mm-hmm. he's the reason why you get the meeting, 
but he's also might be part of the reason why they can't close the deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's a, he's an interesting character. I think people like him because he mixes it up, but you know, he and Dirk have a very special relationship and, and it's not, I just, I think he's a little too close to the game sometimes. And I think that can hurt, you know, when you're pursuing people in free agency. I I remember uh, who, I think it was Darren Williams, right? Where mm-hmm. Cuban took some flack for, they got this meeting with Williams and it looked like it could have happened, but I believe he was filming an episode of Shark Tank at the time. Or mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and you know, and I kind of think that was a cop out looking back on it. Williams mm-hmm. was not going to leave the kind of money that he was offered on the table. Oh yeah. Sure he was annoyed, but like that kind of became the reason du jour for why he didn't choose the Mavericks. And I'm like, you know, let's be honest. This is another $25 million. Like mm-hmm. that's why he didn't choose the Mavericks. Right. I, I just meant, I just meant from a standpoint of if you enjoy the, the larger than lifestyle aura that, that Mark Cuban brings, mm-hmm. I guess the, the backside to it is that there's always going to be that aura that is going to be kind of challenging to deal with as well. Yep. You, you don't have that large of a character. You, you don't have that large a character uh, in the, in the limelight. And then all of a sudden when the lights turn off, he turns out, you know, he turns out to be a really humble guy that is really easy for everybody to get along with. Well, I mean, the flip side is Dr. Buss. I mean, Dr. Buss was the coolest guy in the room forever. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, Mark Cuban is, 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 he actually is a pretty cool guy, but he's also the guy who's trying to be cool. And you just can't, Mm -hmm. you know, you can't have both. Mm-hmm. It's some people just exude it, and there aren't that many NBA owners who are really like that. I mean, these guys became billionaires for a reason. Look at Steve Ballmer; he was the weirdest, weirdest dude on the planet. <laughs> it's almost a thing, a thing of the past. Mm-hmm. Where the the throwback guy, because yeah, I don't, I don't know if Bus could have gotten a, away with a lot of the stuff that he got away with, you know, when he was in prime Dr. Jerry Bus years, you know, with with. I guess womanizing for the lack of a better term or the gambling and all that. Like if, if he was, if there was Twitter and and there was video of him walking out of a casino with four or five girls around on on each arm, I don't know how well that would go over nowadays. Uh, But yeah, you know, for the time that he was there and then on into even his later years, people, I think it was Simmons said that at at all these uh, league meetings, Dr. Jerry bus wouldn't say very much, but then when he did, it, everybody listened and it tended to be the best and the smartest thing said in each of those rooms. And I think that's, uh, I, I think, um, would it be fair for me to say that Cuban is, is to Jerry bus as Kobe was to Michael and that they try really hard to make it happen, but it just comes across as, is not quite that. <laughs> yeah. Though I think Kobe, as he embraced his villain over the years, somehow became a heck of a lot more enjoyable. <laughs> he, he was true. He, he felt like he was actually being Kobe. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So here's the part of the podcast where you and I fight to the death for <laughs> Whiteside services. <laughs> um, I, it was odd to me, like I said earlier in the podcast, that the Lakers couldn't even get a meeting. But you brought up before we started recording that Whiteside's almost completely unique in what he's bringing to the table with all these, you know, this free agency. He's, he's somebody who last year or, or, or you almost never find, or you, I would almost say you never actually find a seven footer who is skilled and can block shots and affect the game that he can all of a sudden be available the way he was to Miami. And now he's set to make a hundred million dollars plus 
and people are left kind of scratching their heads as to how, how did this happen so quickly? Are there warts that we just haven't seen yet? Um, what are you, you, you had mentioned, or you made it sound like before we went on the air that you were a little nervous about the Mavs adding Whiteside. I'm a little nervous about it in the sense of the specific season because he, he, you know, he's such an unknown. He is from everything that's been reported about him kind of difficult. Uh, he, he, you know, he, there's a reason he didn't stick for a very long time, despite being very talented. It took a mm-hmm. long time for that talent to overcome some of his, some of his, you know, I don't want to call them issues or antics or anything like that, but just some of his, his needed growth, I think will be the term that I'll use. So I'm a little freaked out about it, but I can't complain that much because one of the things that that's not being taken into account here is his age. So in attempting to being non-biased, I really think he's a better fit for the Mavericks just because he's 27 and he's mm-hmm. going to be 31 when his deal is expiring. You know, the Lakers core right now is a bunch of under 25 guys, yep. you know, and it sounds a little stupid in comparison when we know we just talked about Chandler Parsons, who's also 27, but you know, Hassan would probably expect to be a lot more of a focal piece. He would be the kind of guy that draws attention in ways that might not always be positive. You know, mm-hmm. he, he, I just don't know how you, he, I'm not sure if I would want that guy as a, as a leader in, in, in the locker room with so many young guys in Los Angeles, but and particularly with what Dallas is trying to do, which is essentially, you know, start like a two year plan where they, try to get out of the friggin' first round, he fits. Mm-hmm. And, you know, eventually the Mavericks are going to have to blow it up, but they have so many, like, they have so many, like, combustible players in terms of, like, a Wes Matthews who could fall apart at any minute, or, you know, I think they, I, I suspect they're going to pursue Darren Williams because Mike Conley, to me, just is not happening. You know, and Derek, who is 300 years old, and then this white side who is very talented, but what, how does he fit? You know, he's a raw talent. I just don't know how he gets along with a coach like Carlisle. Like I'm really concerned for how he's going to fit. But you know, the flip side was, you know, last year the Mavs fans were excited to simply have like a functional center in Zaza. So like a guy like (laughs) this is is obviously an upgrade. So like big picture, I need to shut up. (laughs) I, I do find it interesting how we define veterans and I believe it was Josh Eberle who asked the, who floated the question out there on Twitter today. At what point do you consider a player a veteran? You know, is it after they live out the rookie contract? Is it after they've been in the league for 10 years is whatever. And for me, it's when the player starts to show that they actually get what t- success takes in the NBA. So it's hard for me to really consider Whiteside a veteran or nobody's considering Whiteside a veteran because we don't know if he actually understands what that, you know, what sustainable success takes. Whereas you look at somebody like Chandler Parsons, who's been on quite a few good teams, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Nicholas Batum is 27 as well. Same age as both the, the other guys that we talked about. And he's been on some good teams. So they know what it takes to be successful, uh, su- you know, sustainably and consistently over uh, a long period of time. And those are the kind of guys that you're fine adding to the mix with a bunch of younger guys in Los Angeles, where, like you said, at any point, Whiteside can kind of rest on his laurels and say, hey, I got paid. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> all those time, the, the, that time in Lebanon and, and that time in the D-League and all that, 
it's all finally come full circle and I got paid and and now I'm I'm set. And and the other thing too, I it's kind of a theory of mine and you can call me crazy if you want, but big guys in my opinion tend to be more open to that I finally got paid kind of situation because guards have been so competitive to to make it in in an insane ecosystem that you know not everybody is 7 feet tall. So if you're seven feet tall and skilled, you're going to be found a lot easier than somebody who's six two and skilled or six two and athletic. So you develop the habits of whatever it takes to be found. Whereas a big guy, you know, hey, just just play long enough to get my big contract, and and, I, and I'm almost set. Oh yeah, and and for for me, I mean, I, I used to live in Southern California, so I've been surrounded by Lakers fans since I was like 19 <laughs> years old. So like, if I were if I were a Lakers fan. What I would hope for first is for basketball to be legitimately fun again. Yeah. And I think you saw glimpses of that in like the final 15 games. Like you were just, people were like rediscovering what it was like to be joyful about um, <laughs> basketball. And that's, and that's nice. Like you're, you're kind of going to be for the next like season and a half. I think Lakers fans are going to be in this weird place where you are playing and trying to assess potential, which is really fun. Because when there aren't any expectations is really when basketball is the most fun to watch as a fan. Because yeah. if, you, if you get a guy like Whiteside, it ups your expectation level significantly. Because you're like, oh, are we going to make the playoffs? Are we going to make the playoffs? When really it should be about development of, of Russell Clarkson and, and Ingram. And, I mean, mm-hmm. like, like think about those three names. That's fantastic. All those guys are going to be – you know, if, if one of them turns out to be a rotation player and the other two turn out to be really good – that's going to be so awesome mm-hmm. because that's how you get guys to come to Los Angeles. You know, you, you show this core and say, Hey, do you want to be a part of something? And I think that's really going to be what's worthwhile over the next several years is, is developing that core. And I really think a guy like Whiteside just has the potential to absolutely ruin that. I mean, uh, Parsons is in, 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 in Batum are so much more go along and get along kind of guys. And I, I just there's just value in, in that kind of player in a, in a young locker room. Mm-hmm. It, the, the the fun aspect and the expectations thing. I spent I would say all of last off season telling everybody to pump the brakes after they got Russell. I I think it was an actual trending. Uh, the the Lakers actually might have been behind the the hashtag Summer League Champs last year. That <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you know, they could be good, but they're still working operating under Byron's system. There's still a very good chance they're going to be bad and, and not very fun to watch this year's the first time where they're, they'll be away from Byron and they'll be playing a more open system. And that's where I'm more open to, you know, all right, let's put a few more expectations on the kids. But at the end of the day, it's more about developing than setting an actual goal for wins. I, I always laugh when I get, how many wins do you think the Lakers will be going for? I don't, I don't care <laughs> yeah. if they get to 30. Awesome. Great. Yeah. I mean, I think a good model should be kind of what the Timberwolves did last year where they really struggled for the first, you know, half of the year. And then all of a sudden it was kind of one of this deal where they, they hit the final third and they started playing really well as a team. I mean, people are going to forget this years from now, but the fact that they beat the Warriors at Golden State is ridiculous. <laughs> and they were having and, – and guys were like, you know, figuring out how to shoot – uh, you know, you were saying like Zach Levine was like hitting, you know, he was like clipping at like or clipping threes at like a 30 or 40% rate. Like there's just some absurd things going on up there. And that's really what you look for. Like you, you want to look for like little milestones, like 
does is Russell keeping his turnover rate down? Is Ingram seeing like consistent minutes where he's not getting the crap kicked out of him on defense? Like that sort of stuff is really, you know, and that's how you build a team the next year. And mm-hmm. I, I just like it I, right now. I, I, I'm, I'm going to come back to my Lakers hate eventually um, <laughs> just because like my, my, all my college friends are going to be get like supremely smug again. But right now it's just like, there's this like odd period where I am happy for Lakers fans. And I, it's so weird. I don't like it. <laughs> That's perfect. That's very perfect. I, at the end of the day, for me, it's it's just the more good teams, the more fun teams in the NBA, the more fun the NBA becomes, right? Although I don't think I'll ever root for the Spurs to be like <laughs> the fact that the Spurs is somehow just raced off, you know, into the sunset and left the Lakers in the dust while while the Lakers have been, you know, just trudging in me no not even mediocrity and in, in in just the lottery the 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 high end of the lottery and then you have the spurs doing the stuff that the spurs do i don't think that'll ever actually sit well with me but yeah it's it's just fun to watch good teams come together and you mentioned the wolves and they're going to be a lot of fun to watch next year so i guess we hadn't really planned on talking about this but it's kind of a fun topic are we reaching that time where we're seeing a transition of the guard you know where where minnesota could potentially you know, they could jump up the win column. Uh, if the Spurs, I'm not sure what the Spurs are hoping to do, but, you know, you have Duncan who, did he did he ever re-up? Is yeah, today, he, was, he, he re-upped, and because they hit a, a certain win number, he got like an $800,000, like, add-in to his salary, which really screwed with how the Bulls were doing their uh, salary cap stuff this offseason because they weren't, you know, they didn't know if he was going to play, period, and now they have to pay him almost $7 million a year. <laughs> so that's even better. But but I, I, I could kind of see this happening where the Warriors are going to be the Warriors. That's not changing anytime soon. Uh I'm interested to see what the what the Mavericks do. The Pelicans are an interesting spot. The Western Conference is, as always, just this insane gauntlet of of teams that are just fighting to get into the NBA or into the playoffs, even with where the records stood last year compared to the Eastern Conference. Do you think we see, you know, a few teams up in the top four seeds that you that you might not see because they just happen to grow and the top four seeds kind of take a digger this year? Or is there just too much to know right now because free agency, we don't know where Kevin Durant will land, for example. Yeah. That changes OKC's outlook. Every time I feel like things are going to change, they end up saying somewhat of the same. I mean, the Spurs have been there forever. The Mavericks even have been there forever. The Grizzlies have been hanging out in the playoffs forever. It's really hard to figure out what's going to go on with any of these teams because, like, injuries seem to keep playing a really interesting factor with certain teams. You know, Mm -hmm. you would have figured, at least I would have figured, Portland was going to drop off the map, and they ended up being pretty solid. The West is just kind of this this insane place because you know the only team that really seems to suck every single year are the Kings. And <laughs> you know the wolf in reality, you know, the Wolves have missed the playoffs for ten straight years, which is longer than any team, but like they're probably the main team that's gonna like challenge someone this year. I mean, I suspect they probably win, you know, in the high thirties if if on the low end and probably, you know, they might push fifty if if things actually connect with them. It's mm-hmm. gonna be kind of interesting to see what happens I think Oklahoma is going to continue to be very good. I suspect, and this is kind of the pessimist in me, I suspect the Mavericks actually kind of have one of these fall-off years regardless of who plays for them. 
because mm-hmm. part of what they've been really good at the past several years is squeezing every inch of talent from like a mid-tier free agent. Uh, and if they if they sign you know a guy like Whiteside to a very high level uh, contract, it's going to take that ability away, and they're going to have to get these minimum guys. And you know, minimum guys can be so hit or miss. You know, even mm-hmm. with a, a high salary. So, not sure. It's probably going to be a lot of fun. Um, I'm looking forward, really, just to seeing to how a lot of these former rookies last year develop. I'm still completely over Eastern Conference basketball as a concept. It's, it's so like, ugly. <laughs> like I, I, we we go to summer league and have to deal with these guys from Cleveland who are like, oh, the basketball's so. And it's like, no, guys, sorry. LeBron's <laughs> playing. LeBron gets to play JV basketball 50, 50 games out of the year, and then he gets to play the West the other thirty games. That's why he he's obviously a phenomenal basketball player, but he has an easier path to the finals. It's it's not even a question. Yeah. So <laughs> anybody who says anything differently is is <laughs> fooling themselves. To to the nth degree. Yeah, it's just it's a different ball game out west. And what do you you know what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, this was a lot of fun, uh, Kirk. And thank you very much for setting time aside for us. For, for well, I guess us other people are listening besides myself. I would hope. Uh, I Vegas is like a week away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just you know, I, I guess a day and a week away. So that'll be fun. Are the Mavs fielding a, a, a competitive or a semi-competitive summer league team? They don't really have many. I guess they have uh, um, Andrew, so, Justin Anderson, who I really, really like. He's going to be the guy to watch in Vegas. I don't even know why they're fielding an Orlando team. It's going to be a joke. So mm-hmm. the the summer league team for Vegas is going to be – it should be A.J. Hammonds, who apparently is good, but he's also 24, so that doesn't really mean much to me. Like, I don't really care if he's good because he's the same age as Bismack Biombo. Mm-hmm. He was their second-round draft pick this year. Uh, Justin Anderson is going to be the guy to watch. Uh, Perry Ellis apparently is on the Mavericks Summer League team. If anyone doesn't know who Perry Ellis is, he's a University of Kansas star who played there for like 35 years or something. Uh, he was like one of these rare seniors who was actually pretty good. And he also just signed a deal with Perry Ellis clothing, which is just the weirdest <laughs> story. Um, they also will probably be taking with them the first Indian uh, player ever drafted, um, Satnam Singh, who is just gargantuan. I think he I has this he has this voice which just it could like shatter a chalkboard because it's just so like so deep. I don't expect them to be any good, but summer league's so weird. The basketball is so weird. You can't really assess anyone's team value. What you're really looking at is to see how guys do in like one-on-one matchups, like defensively, help side, that sort of stuff, because these guys don't know each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I suspect your team will be a lot of fun and probably will win. Is is your uh, – I can't remember his name – the second round guy, the white guy uh, from overseas, who who basically was probably who should have been a first rounder, is he is he going to be on the summer league team? They're saying I I don't believe he's going to make it in time. Oh. Um, they're, they're holding out hope. They're they're holding out hope that he might be able to make it, but uh, they're they're saying that it's probably going to be closer to to uh, after summer sure. league goes by. Sure, Dang, but yes, he's he'd be he'd be a lot of fun to watch because uh, a lot of people that I trust. You know the the Givenies, the Sharks, all those guys are saying that he looks really good, and and uh, if they're saying that, then I'll then I'll believe it. If Chad Ford says somebody's good, then I'm gonna be like, well, you could say he's not good in like three years, and we'll look back and <laughs> you'll you'll have a different assessment. But those other guys, if they if they say it, I, I'll go along with it. 
Let me ask you one more question then before we go. Mm-hmm. The man, the myth, the legend, Marcelino Huertas. Is there any chance that he comes back next year on a minimum deal? I no. They 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 offered the qualifying offer to him. Did they really? They did. So there's it. It probably looks pretty good. They. I'll say this. From everything that I've heard, they love him. Well, I mean, he, uh, we talked about this, didn't we? That picture I sent you on Twitter. He was on. Me and him played high school basketball together. I, I read your. So, I read your uh, your article about him. Uh, when is the Lakers so weirdly like he is so much fun to watch, and I think on a team where he's actually passing the guys who can score, like mm-hmm. y'all second unit next year could be a lot of fun to watch. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, he has those hilarious and unbelievable gifts we're never going to see again because that one footed crap is just like nothing I've ever seen before. <laughs> And it was weird when we were 17 and watching him, like, trying to get it off against guys. And, like, then he has those, you know, bizarre games like the Golden State game where he looks like a wizard. Yes. You're just like, what is happening? And then he gets shook to death another game where you wonder if his ankles are ever going to be the same. Mm-hmm. Well, I the the last year, uh, Lou Williams got hurt for an extended period. I think he missed about five or six-ish games. And that opened uh, Huertas to to be able to play as the backup point guard. And when he would come in, Russell would slide to off-ball. It's why I kind of like the idea of the Lakers going after Conley. But they they slid uh, Russell to off-ball, and, and you'd had two creators on the court at the same time. And Huertas... Say what you will about what he can't do defensively. And you look at the guy, you don't really think <laughs> you don't expect that he's going to do anything defensively. But on offense, there are just some players out there who have a knack for getting the guys a ball in rhythm. It's mm-hmm. not just it's, it's not one thing to, it's it, you know, to just hey, the ball got the, the ball found the guy at you know on the right spot. But rhythm is such a huge part of basketball and he seems to get it. And uh, I think that's a huge reason why they extended the qualifying offer. I, I, I like him a lot for the role that they hope that he plays next year. I, I wouldn't, really it wouldn't shock me at all to see, obviously, Nick Young's going to get fired off into the sun. And it mm-hmm. honestly wouldn't shock me to see Lou Williams uh, get traded away as well because he uh, pretty openly took Nick Young's side in that situation. So I think the <laughs> Lakers are kind of, yeah, they're kind of trying to shocker that the guy who – whose stories were written about had two girls at the two girlfriends at the same time would, would side with Nick young at that. But they, uh, I think the Lakers are looking to just move on completely from that situation. It wouldn't shock me at all to see Williams gone, which opens up where it says to play backup point guard minutes. And he was pretty, he was really good in that, in that role for granted a 17 win team. Yeah, that's real. I'm really happy to hear that just because I didn't get to see him live last year. Mm-hmm. And I really want to, and I'm really, I really want to see the Lakers live period. Well, excellent. Thanks for having me on, man. Anytime, anytime. That was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this conversation. I look forward to having more like it in Las Vegas. So that was Kirk Henderson of MavsMoneyBall.com uh, of SB Nation. He's been around uh, this industry for, for quite some time. He They at that site produce great content. Uh, if you're a Mavs fan or if you're even just an NBA fan, make sure you check them out again at MavsMoneyBall.com. Uh, his Twitter app is or at is at Kirk Serious Face. Uh, he's a great follow. If you follow me, I can't imagine you don't follow him. But just in case, you should probably change that. Uh, thanks everybody for listening today. Uh, we have, like Kirk said, some pretty crazy hours and days, and probably a week plus ahead of us leading into 
uh, Las Vegas Summer League. So I can't wait to uh, get to talk to not just Kirk, but the rest of you guys about it uh, as we get closer to that time. Thank you again. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Leave us a couple reviews. That'd be kind of nice too. And uh, I'll see everybody out there in Las Vegas. Talk to you soon. Hi, you've reached the High Fashion Hotline. Hi, my family's going to a tailgate, and I want our style to stand out from the crowd. Just go to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, Old Navy's got all the latest fall styles. Plus, during Old Navy's colossal sale, you'll save up to 50% off store-wide. Did you say up to 50% off? I did, so don't sit on the sidelines. Old Navy has the perfect pants from 19 bucks, stylish dresses from 15 bucks, and comfy tees for the family from just 6 bucks. right now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. We're cheering for Old Navy. High Fashion, Old Navy. Valid 10-2 to 10-10. Select styles only.